Hi and welcome to the Calm Edge Rebels podcast. I'm Jenny Field. I'm Advita Patel. I'm Trudy Lewis. So today we thought it'd be really interesting to talk about the things that have captured our interest uh, in the last week. And we have said when we first launched our kind of weekly podcast episodes that we will talk about different things. And I, w- I think we can all agree that this week has particularly been challenging for some of us. <laughs> We've had all sorts of uh, interesting conversations. So I thought we'd kick off and see what's been in the news for you, Jenny. What's What's been capturing your attention? I love this. I love this because we've talked about so much on our WhatsApp chat in the last week. And I think there's been so much. There's the the, the big thing we've talked about this week, which we know is a topic that's probably a bit sensitive, is around inclusion and Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the audio only app that's currently only available on Apple, but might now be on Android. And we ended up having quite a good conversation about inclusion and how inclusive is Clubhouse? But then how do you compare that to a podcast? And how do you compare that to radio? And how inclusive is radio uh, and accessible? And, and we went down, you know, a load of discussions and conversations, I think all before about 10 o'clock the other morning with voice notes going backwards and forwards between us. It was. Trying to understand. Yeah. 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 Just that, so that's been my, that's been my kind of main interest and topic, I think, in the last week is just trying to get underneath what we mean by inclusion and accessibility because I think people confuse those terms and sometimes use it to to be talking about the fact that it's actually only available on Apple devices well only Apple iPhones actually and that therefore it's not accessible whereas when people say something's not accessible I think it's completely inaccessible like I cannot possibly be part of that space in that community rather than just a marketing technique where I can't access it so that was, you know, quite an interesting discussion, and the comparison between podcasts and radio, and and all of those things, and how people can access the content, and what the benefits are, and oh, I've gone off in my own head. It was that was the that was my main theme for this week. Yeah, and I think we said, didn't we, in our WhatsApp chat about Clubhouse? And I am very much about, and I I do understand why people are a little bit put out by it not being accessible in terms of you know, like podcasts, and I think we shared this on our WhatsApp chat, didn't we? And I said that people who I've spoken to who are deaf or hard of hearing said that with podcasts, they can use their software to to get subtitles, right? So because Clubhouse isn't pre-recorded or you can't record it, it's difficult to do that. Though I did find actually a good app that people can use, which I'll share in our show notes. So if anybody does want to kind of take part in Clubhouse, which I now believe is available to Android. So all the Android lovers out there (laughs) can stop complaining. (laughs) Stop saying how unfair it is. It's now available to Androids. Um, You can actually now down, you can use the app to see the subtitles and it's really good. It's it's AI, right? And so it's, it's, I would say it's probably 90, 90, 95% accurate from my experience when I've been using it just to kind of test it out so I'll I'll share that but I get it Jenny you know I do think we do need to consider I think when we talk about accessibility and inclusivity they're very different things in my opinion and I've actually on that note I've actually been talking a lot around belonging this week and this month really because I do I'm kind of shifting my mindset and it's after I had in a really interesting chat with a wonderful woman called Nicole who is focused she used to be a diversity equity and inclusion specialist and after the research and stuff she's done she's kind of transitioned into belonging and we had a really interesting chat about that and I've 
I kind of get it. And I do think that sometimes as organizations and as people, we can lose focus a little bit. You know, we can get too bogged down with terminologies and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And it's, at the end of the day, if I, this is my belief that what matters to me and, and, and what I think is important is how does that place or how does that environment make me feel in, in, you know, how does it make me feel and how can I belong and how can I thrive in that space? And is the treatment of me equal or, you know, am I getting equitable treatment compared to my peers in order for me to thrive and deliver my objectives so I can keep on growing in my role? And I think the belonging piece is quite important. There's lots of debates and I'm pretty certain from some of the comments I've read, there'll be people who disagree and think that we're, we're taking attention away from the bigger, bigger ticket items. So if that is you, then please do, you know, do let us know. I think it's important that we open up the conversation on this area and keep talking about it. Mm. Yeah, so I guess I'll go to mine. (laughs) (laughs) How's your week been, Trish? What's been on your mind? Both your focuses sound so clever and intelligent. (laughs) The majority of mine sits sits around being stressed (laughs) and and to be fully full on you know just constant meetings and I'm sure you can all identify with this now that we're in zoom worlds that the no matter even though you we say you know people say oh yes but you're just behind the screen don't worry but and you don't have to travel it is exhausting to go from meeting to meeting on zoom so I just wanted to mention that you know just (laughs) as we're talking about our weeks but saying that one of the things that I have done this week actually today was a climate change conference for CIPR. So I moderated that session and it was just really enlightening to, to listen to people speak about how much communication is going to impact uh, the whole area of how, how much we get done within the change, the climate change space. And there was this great quote from Sir David Attenborough that just was Uh, focusing on it it said saving our planet is now a communications challenge and it just made me think gosh that's so true and then we had these great speakers who all highlighted not just the problem but they they really focused on anything from uh, plastics to the behavior change that's needed to the role that PR can play and the things that we can do as individuals to start changing this so it didn't feel like oh my gosh the planet is imploding it's it felt as if to say actually there's a lot that I can do to take part in that whole climate change uh issue so I thought that was really really useful this week in and amongst a million zoom calls (laughs) I love that though I love love when we get the chance in our roles to kind of moderate facilitate and I know that all three of us do workshop facilitation event facilitation and there's something you have to pay so much attention when you're doing that to to be able to question and comment and and, and run mm-hmm. it that yeah. you end up learning so much. I learn so much more when I'm facilitating and running an event than if I'm just attending because if I'm attending, especially an online event, I'm terrible at paying attention. <laughs> but if I'm actually you know facilitating it or chairing it, then I'm I'm way more engaged in it because yeah. you have to be. So there's such a benefit to to those things as well and being able to learn stuff I don't know much about the climate change and comm side of things I haven't done much in that space so I'll be interested to yeah I mean what was what I found really fascinating that many of the speakers were actually not comms people but but just hearing their story most a lot of them got very stuck into it for um simply because they had children and they suddenly were thinking of the future or some just love nature 
And, you know, it was, oh my goodness, this, we, we're going to lose some of this if we don't do something about it. And so, you know, their, their motivations were very different. And also hearing, hearing some of the business or senior side, you know, so what are some of our leaders going through as they face these issues and how can we as perhaps communicators support them, help them, get them focused on it was was quite fascinating because we weren't just focusing on comms it was focusing on what business is having to deal with mm. and um some of the challenges with get with achieving things like net zero and all the rest of it so so it was i i think from that perspective it wasn't just about comms but it was it was interesting it's a great you know it's something that i have been uh, obviously if you listen to our previous podcast around Tony Chuckaloo I know I was like oh god she's gonna go down a mining route again we're going in we're going in I can tell <laughs> the Tony Chuck the Tony Chuckaloo stuff is so and I like a bit like Jenny I've kind of dipped in and out of it it's never really been my kind of focus area in the work that I've done but in the most recent times I have actually done a little bit more research and work in this space and it's just so fascinating to and you know what I really I do adore and really, really kind of applaud those individuals who are taking it upon themselves to make that change to better our future for our generations coming behind us and stuff like that. Because I think most of us can be a bit selfish when it comes to the planet. And look at me now, I feel like I'm David Att- Attenborough here, but <laughs> I do think that some of us can be a bit selfish. And, you know, we think, you know, just recycling is enough, but, you know, we do probably should start paying a little bit more attention about the contribution we're making to the planet. Uh, and and keeping it safe and ready for for our next next people uh, coming along just changing tack a little bit one of the <laughs> the other thing that's been on my mind is my desk situation <laughs> so, the, so that's been the the topic of has, conversation it has been has group. been the desk there's been just for context for this is this has been probably daily and Anita's yeah. now yeah. got to the point where we get voice notes that are about 25 minutes in length yeah about, about, about 80% of which is about the desk yeah. in her new office yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to find a sustainable desk. I'm, I'm putting it on the whole climate <laughs> thing as well. <laughs> but if you, if you, <laughs> the seamless transition. That was good. But, it was good. Um, yeah, it was good. Those of you who don't know, I'm having a, an, a, an office built at the back of the garden, which if you follow me on my Instagram, you'll see the kind of progression. And I, I feel like I'm some kind of ridiculous influencer doing little stories on it. But <laughs> I enjoy it. And it's a memory for, for me, really, to see where it all started. But building an office and I'm looking for a, a desk Honestly, to find a desk in this country, I don't know what is going on. Like I've, I've actually moved away from office desks onto dining tables because somebody <laughs> said to me, because people are working, because people are working from home a lot, desks are like, you know, supply and demand is just not there. So look for dining tables because people are converting their dining rooms into offices. So using office desks, so I'm not buying dining tables. You're also quite specific about the kind of desk that you want. It's I not am. like you just I want am. like a bog standard <laughs> desk. <laughs> I am. I'm very specific. And this is a problem. So it's gold and white, which sounds really tacky. But if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see it's actually quite classic. Though I have ordered a black and gold chair and I feel like all I need now is a white cat and a really like evil laugh because I feel feel like it's going down that zone. But you know, when you've committed, I feel like I've committed to it. I went to Ikea. I went to Ikea yesterday to have a look around everything just felt a bit and I love Ikea right it, it gives you the basics but everything just didn't feel like golden marble that I'm looking for so you can imagine the kind of theme I'm going for in this wooden hut thing I've got at the back of my garden but you know I'm trying to create a, a Manhattan type loft 
in the back end of North Manchester. <laughs> but we can all we can all live in dream. <laughs> and why not? Why not? I mean, honestly, make your place look amazing. Oh, I just totally. love it. I just love the desk chat. It's been going on. And then your outrage today was it's going to be 10 weeks for one that you have found. That's, and as someone that's yeah. recently moved and has been waiting for furniture, like I, our sofas arrive on the middle of, in the middle of June and we have been sitting on a beanbag since we moved in the middle of January. So when you're saying it's 10 weeks for your desk, I'm like, I've sat on a beanbag for five months. <laughs> Don't even talk to me about 10 weeks. I know, I know. It was it was unneeded rage about that ten week ten week situation, but you know it's it's this is daily life. You just got a little flavour of what goes through our brains on a on a weekly, daily, minute by minute. If you're if you involved in my desk challenge, we could carry on talking about this for the next thirty minutes probably. But we're going to move on to our podcast episode, which this week is all about line managers. So have a listen. Let us know what you think. As usual, please do feedback through our social channels. And if there's any specific topic you want us to cover in our next weekly chat, then please do let us know. We have been actually talking about doing a bit of like a phone in, but not a live phone in, because, you know, I don't I don't trust some of the people in our world <laughs> enough to do a live phone in. But if you do have a question, I think we're going to do like a Q&A set. So please do send your questions either through Instagram, through Twitter, um, on Carmesh Rebels, or email us or DM us directly and we'll do a, a weekly slot on answering your Q&As. But till then, enjoy our next episode. Great. If you want to find out more about how you can work with us, you can visit our website, which is calmedgedrebels.com. Here you can find out more about each of us individually, and it will also give you links to our own websites, which are colinear.co for Trudy, commsrebel.com for Advita, and Redefining Comms for me, Jenny. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Carmage Rebels, and you can also follow us individually on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So if you do want to work with us around communications consulting, coaching, or workshops, please do get in touch. So I want to talk about line managers and the role that they play inside organizations. And the reason I want to have this conversation is because it's been a topic of conversation, if you like, for organizations and communication professionals for a number of years around the role that line managers play as a communication channel, but also how they can often be seen as a bit of a barrier to good internal communication. And in August 2020, there was a a conversation posed on LinkedIn about whether the role of the line manager needed to exist anymore. I think linked to the pandemic and the fact that work was dramatically changing for a lot of people around the world. Do we still need line managers and, and what is their role? And it was this conversation that sparked the thought and desire in me to do more research into um, line managers communication and it follows on from the remotely interested research that I did in 2019 which was around how to communicate with a deskless workforce and that research showed that line managers have an incredible role to play when it comes to communication and that they impact communication across the whole organization but um, that's a whole other whole other topic. But in this research that's coming out in 2021, we're starting to see some, some trends and some very specific things that would show how the role of the line manager needs to change. And I believe that we do need line managers in organisations. I do believe that they are what I would call an anchor point in an organisation. And 
one that we need to hold on to, especially for people when they don't have an office or a location or something maybe more physical to be linked to the organisation. So I just wanted to have that conversation and discussion. It doesn't matter what role you're in in an organisation. Most of us will have a line manager uh, and most of us will have experienced you know, good or bad or, or we'll be looking in communication and the role of line managers in that. So a bit of a conversation. I'll share some of the insight from the research as we go through. And it may prove or disprove your points, both of you, but we'd love to know what you think, Trudy. I actually think it's really good that you're doing some work on that. Uh, it's an area that I always talk about. I also think that they're the forgotten group of people within the organisation. A lot of the times they are looked at as difficult and challenging. And so they're, they're not included in a lot of the directed communications or directed conversations that need to happen. So as a, but as a result, they, you know, they do feel a bit overwhelmed as well because they've got a lot of work to do. You know, all of the processes from HR they have to deal with, all of the things to do with the people that they manage they have to deal with, plus doing their day job. So it can be a bit overwhelming, I'm sure, for most of them or the ones that I've dealt with have all experienced that. And then the other part is that it's rare that an organization explains the why to them. So they will set the strategy at the top. They'll set the priorities. They'll talk about all of the values and all the things that need to be done from that top level, take great pains to communicate that on the ground to the frontline staff, and then don't explain the why or the how they got there to the middle group, which is the line managers. And those are the people who then need to take the message forward and, and also live it, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So it is quite challenging, I think, for them. I think communication is critical for them. They possibly at times feel that they don't have the confidence to communicate as well as they should. And, and that's where communicators come in as part of our role needs to be to give them the tools to do that. So I see them as an important group of people. And rather than peg them as too challenging or too difficult we should really be working with them a lot more I completely agree and you know it, it's really interesting I just you know when you just said that Jenny somebody had messaged was it a post on LinkedIn someone said we should get rid of line managers or they, yeah. that they don't have a role I'm like what like that, I just <laughs> what like you know being I've been a line manager myself right so I kind of see you know the challenges facing line managers and we are the sandwich layer right so you've got the pressure as Trudy said, from the top, and you've got to deliver at pace, and you've got to make sure you're hitting your targets, and you're performing, and you're making sure you're looking after your team, and you've got a lot of pressure on you to make sure your teams are doing okay, and they're delivering, and their problem is your problem at the end of the day, you know, and you, so you're kind of in between it all, so you've got pressure from the top, and you've got pressure from the bottom, and then you've got us guys, you know, internal communicators, or communicators coming along going, hey yeah look at this amazing campaign that we're doing <laughs> we need to communicate this in your way you know in this way and here's some posters and here's a, a notice we want you to say in the team meeting and you need to make sure you cover these points and make sure you say it in this way I'm like you know maybe I am at risk of oversimplifying things at times but a part of I think the challenges we have with line managers is because we don't take their needs in consideration we don't ask them you know we don't have that too we talk about two-way communication all the time but you know, hand on heart, those people who are listening, how many of you actually gone to your line manager population and asked them, what is it that you need from us as a communications function? And how can we support you in, in you being the best you can possibly be in the work that you're doing without hindering too much of the work that you're doing, right? So for example, in one of my organizations, I had a difficult 
a challenge in terms of communicating some organisational restructures. And line managers are feeling very uncomfortable in talking about this because they weren't brought into this conversation. But I only found that out when there was reluctance in sharing this news because I went around and had the conversation with a handful of them and said, what's going on? Like, what's happening? What do I need to do to make you feel more comfortable in the messages that you need to communicate? And it was the simple things like having that safe environment for them so they could ask the questions without looking silly, you know, where they could find the information that they need, the single point of truth, basically. You know, we, we were so, we have so many things going on in an organisation with channels and this and that and so many things for people to remember and then throw in the whole diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging stuff, mental health, everything going on around the world, teams feeling pressure to deliver. I just think we're being unfair. And whoever wrote that statement, maybe they were being a bit controversial and wanted to start a debate. I just don't think, uh, well, I'd be interested to know actually in what their solution would be if we didn't have a line manager population. Like how would it even work? And, and a flat structures to an extent are okay, but you do need that connectivity with somebody. You do need it. So I, I do think they were being deliberately, I was going to say argumentative, I don't think that's the word, I think they were being deliberately provocative with their with their statement. So I'm going to share with you a couple of stats from the research, because I think it flows from what you've shared. Now, this is initial findings from the research, the research um, will we'll, we'll go into more detail, but the line managers that completed the survey, um, 42% of them said that they have to rewrite information to pass to their team. They said uh, 4%, so they do nothing with things they are asked to share. And only 7% said that the communication they received was consistent. Wow. Pretty pretty shocking. But again, demonstrates when you don't ask the question and you're not having that conversation with those line manager population. I mean, 42% having to rewrite the information. Now, I am going to take this with a pinch of salt a little bit, Jenny, because people do believe that they can, you know, as internal comms, sometimes everyone's an expert and everyone thinks they can write better than each other, right? And we do have that debate going on in the organisation. But even then, with that on mind, 42% of them having to rewrite the communications that they've been sent, to me, demonstrates that we are not, we are not giving them the stuff that they need, right? So, yeah, and there, there's some questions over this which I think are interesting because some people will say it's part of a line manager's job to make the content relevant for their team Mm -hmm. is one school of thought. Someone else will say, oh, you kind of have to top and tail it anyway. So that's maybe what they mean, you know, and that's, you know, why we do other kinds of research. Don't just take surveys at, at face value. You have to kind of delve in. So there's things to explore in that statement, but but for me, it's still a really high percentage. It's nearly half of the line manager saying they have to rewrite something and I'm not sure that you would say you had to rewrite something if you were just topping and tailing it for your team that's not a rewrite in my opinion I do think it's because fundamentally people do not have the conversation with them so the communication is just thrown at them so it's we need to communicate this we'll just give it to them and so for it to become relevant to their team who they know they have to probably doctor it do something with it now I would say that the average line manager has very little time to actually do that properly. And some would say, well, do you know what? I'm not going to share it then. If it means that I'm going to have to rewrite this, I'm not sharing it with my team. Or they might keep throwing it back at comms or whatever to say, well, this just doesn't work for us. 
delaying the message anyway. So, so I do think it's it's quite a challenging one because you know where do they get time? Yeah, and I think that's you know we asked them in the in the research. You know, what do you spend your time kind of doing? Like, what's the most important aspects of your job? And they talked about making sure the team are clear on priorities, supporting the team, motivating the team. Now, these were open text questions. So the language there for me is really important for supporting and motivating the team. We asked them if what would be the most important aspects, you know, if they could do it. So what are the most important aspects of your job now and what would you do if you could? So, you know, the current picture and and what we would like to do. And when we asked them that, they said strategy, working across the organisation better and developing the team. Um, Now, I find that really interesting. And I I think that's linked to the pandemic and and what line managers have had to do in the last year to shift. But I do think the fact that they want to do more in terms of that working across the organisation and developing the team would suggest that their time would rather be spent doing more strategic work and, and development rather than making sure the team are clear on prioritising and supporting and motivating them. Mm. certainly the the line managers I've worked with have all would mirror that that so so that as consistent with what I've experienced that they that they care very much about their team they care very much about how much their team understands what they're supposed to do and carrying out the day job and that for those that have the potential and interest have the have the biggest opportunity to move forward and they're they're quite committed to making sure that some of that happens They're, they're very you know, the, as I said, the ones I've worked with have all been really, really hard workers, really hard, really focused on on that whole job of managing a group of people. Interestingly, about them saying that they, you know, the 42% who rewrite the comms now, and, and then they're verbatim that they're giving you about wanting to be more involved in the strategy and, and making sure that they are, you know, delivering against that objective. It makes me question, you know, we, we've spoken about this before, about communicators aligning their communication strategy is a corporate objectives because if they did do that properly then surely the comms that you're asking that leader to communicate is aligning with what they want to do right so if you're doing if you're aligning your campaigns and your messaging against the corporate objectives of the organization then when you send that copy to that line manager because they've said we want to be more strategic and we want to make sure we, we're at that level then there shouldn't be any need, in my opinion, to rewrite that comments because you have aligned it with the core message. Mm. Now, the challenge I think some communicators can sometimes fall into, the trap they can fall into, is that they can they haven't acknowledged the culture of the organization in terms of language and tone. Sometimes the very the senior leaders can can use some complicated words to make themselves seem you know, a little bit more important or more clever than maybe potentially they need to uh, and not and not do plain English. And we all, you know, every organisation I've worked in, one of the core things has always been we must speak in plain English. You know, everything's plain mm. English, but sometimes the content doesn't reflect that. So as a, as a communicator, our role is to make sure that we are writing those messages so line managers understand and feel comfortable with some of the language that we're using so their teams understand what is going on and I'm not talking about dumbing things down because I think that's really offensive it's not about dumbing it down it's making it understandable about what you're asking people to do and I think sometimes we could forget and I you know in my experience most line managers have been very supportive of the communications if they know what's in it for them 
So what's in it for me? What's in it for my team? And what do you need us to do with this information? Now you shared it with us. Mm. What action do I need to take with this? What behaviours are you expecting people in my team to do with this information? So if it's a new policy, great. What are you expecting me to do with this new policy? How? What, what, what's the purpose of this? And I just think that's where we probably, maybe from the conversations we've had in the past, fall down a little bit. There's one bit in the in the research that I have found really interesting, and it's a theme that's kind of been bubbling around, I think, in about for about the last three, four months, really, in terms of the role of autonomy and the role of empowerment inside organisations. And what I found quite interesting in the research was that 98%, unsurprisingly, said that they managed people. And that kind of made sense because we're talking to line managers and therefore that would be given. <laughs> but worryingly for me, about 50% manage budget and around 50% manage resources. So this for me has really got me thinking even more about the whole empowerment versus autonomy. And I think this is the crux of the issue with line managers. They are different. So empowerment versus autonomy are different things. So there's a culture design strategist called Gustavo Rossetti who said, autonomy is the freedom to act and to make our own choices. Empowerment is the granting of political, social or economic power. Now, I really like that distinction between the two. And I think when you look at line managers, essentially what we're saying is you can manage people, but you can't manage budget or resources. So therefore, line managers are maybe empowered, but they are not autonomous in their ability to actually have the freedom to, to act and make their own choices. And I think that is what stops the role of the line manager being as powerful as it could be. Now, we could talk about skills and capability, and there's a lot of that in the research and a lot of that in other research I've done. And it is, it is a factor. But I do think that organisational culture has such a big part to play in this in terms of whether you are empowering people or giving them autonomy to do things. And I think we are much more in favour of empowerment when it comes to line managers because of that need for control. And that, that for me, is what I think is the bit to explore, tackle, break, whatever you like, to really harness the power of line managers to make sure that the organisation is efficient, engaging and all those things that, that we talk about. But what kind of organisation would you need to be that, what is it, open-minded to say, well, OK, let's put that power into the hands of our line managers. Let's allow them to kind of to be to be autonomous and and to be able to do that. I mean, I think it would be, be, be amazing, but it's one of those things that I almost can't quite see leadership getting their head around because there's the element of releasing control. But I think so. So there is an element for me of this is a really good conversation. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> this is this is about whether or not you say you have empowerment or you say you have autonomy and then making sure that your actions follow that. So I think there will be organisations that will say our line managers have autonomy over their teams. They can do stuff when actually they don't. They're empowered. And that's OK. But make sure that you're making that distinction and not pretending to be doing something that actually you, you're not doing in terms of your processes or or things like that. And I I do think when you look at, you know, team structures comes through a lot in the research, you know, matrices, whether or not the teams have changed over the last year, all of those things. If as a line manager, I don't control the budget and resources and people and all those kind of three pillars of what I would need to run a really good function, then how am I able to truly run a great function if I don't have 
the autonomy over those three different component parts. Well, you've taken the decision-making power away from them, haven't you? So yeah. when yeah. I started in, in corporate life, you know, 16, 17 years ago, my my manager, my line manager, had had a budget and, and was a decision-maker in, you can go on this training and you can, you know, we can only get extra resource in this team. And they, in a, and they had a budget that they looked after. What I noticed, the trend, and it'll be interesting to people who are listening, and obviously from your research, Jenny, is all those things started to get centralised. So centralised hmm. budgets and centralised resources. And then we were asking, so when I sat down with my line manager in my one-to-ones in PDRs and I was asking for development opportunities, the case was always, I can't make that decision. You need to put a business case together. Then I need to submit it to my manager who needs to then submit it to their manager. And they need to do an overarching <laughs> centralised budget Oh, my God. <laughs> because you only get allocated £27.50 per person, right? So it's something, it's, it's something ridiculous. And then you kind of... You kind of so you're asking line managers to be, and I love that definition between autonomy and empowerment because I do think people confuse the both, confuse mm-hmm. it. And you can you can say to your line manager, we want you to empower your team to perform and do great work and da da da. And, and most you know most good line managers will do that. You know, the best managers I've seen are the ones who have a mentoring approach, who are very supportive and have that lovely connection with people. But if you want managers to make a difference in terms of outputs and outcomes, then you need to give them autonomy. You need to give them ownership over budgets and resources and let them make the decision because at the end of the day, they're the ones in that role. They're the ones that are doing that job and making them jump through several different hoops to get to, you know, now we have to be cautious, right? I'm not saying that every organisation goes around giving people their own budgets because you have to have some element of control in an organization to you know for whatever reason but a, a, a very real example I'll give you in one of the organizations I worked in we we raised the profile of recognition and reward in our organization right and a lot of our leaders uh, line managers sorry were saying I don't feel like I I can say thank you but it doesn't you know I want to take my my teams out for a bacon sandwich or I want to treat them to a coffee or I want I want to go for a a drinks you know after work or whatever but in order for me to do that I have to ask permission through several different people and it's really taking that that decision making away from me and it feels really it doesn't feel natural and um you know so what we did was we allocate we gave every line manager 250 quid a month to spend on whatever they wanted to to help enrich their team and that transformed Mm. the behaviours that we saw in that organisation, because all of a sudden those line managers were felt they were in control. They were like, right, OK, we've got a bit of budget. Let's let's all go for a team away day. Let's let's do it. Let's do a, a drinks after work. You know, you want to do some training in this. Let me see if I can find some budget. And let's do some training, you know, and it just gave them that that kind of empowerment. And I think our leadership team saw the difference it made. And I think started to think, was was it but was it a good move to centralise the budgets? Or should we have let everybody keep keep their budgets and stuff like that? And I just don't I'm know why sure. it's always such an issue. Like even I mean, I used to have a, a a budget, and I would have you know you'd have to fight for your budget. It wasn't like you know here's millions of pounds. It would be like this is what I'm going to spend, and I always had like a little contingency pot in my budget that I would use that was always for stuff because you kind of needed that. But once I had my budget, what I then did with that, if I wanted to move things into different lines or whatever, like it was fine because it was it was my budget. And we had certain things that we could spend on expenses and, and team stuff and anything like that. 
I just find it so strange. And I'm, I'm, as you were talking then, I was thinking about clients that I have who will have had, you know, they'll have had a team structure signed off and agreed and everything else. But then to then get the the specifics, you know, they've got to then go back and have more things signed off. And I'm like, this is such a waste, colossal waste of time. If you've signed <laughs> off the budget and you've signed off the structure, why is there then another meeting to have another conversation about the job spec or this, you know, it, it just is the most inefficient thing inside our organizations today because it, it there's such unnecessary hoops to jump through when you've agreed something. And that for me, I just find so frustrating because we've agreed this amount of money that I can spend in the course of the year. Yes. We've agreed where I'm going to spend that. Yes. So okay, I'm going to go and spend it over here. Oh, hold on though, we need to come back to the beginning and just have a conversation about that. Well, why? I've you know that's the most point it's just the most pointless thing and I just oh, I'm getting on a soapbox now because this <laughs> drives me nuts it's yeah. just it, it's, it serves no purpose to make an organization efficient and engaging at all and is some weird controlling thing that doesn't help anybody get the job done and if there is not one person I have ever met in my career that says oh I think it's great that I've got to go back in and present a business case for this not one <laughs> not one person is going to go I think this is marvellous I think it's absolutely the right thing to do for me to go back in and ask for the same amount of money that I've already been given for something I've already said I'm going to spend it on a colossal waste of time it is it is but I think the challenge there is about bringing balance into culture so it's it's bringing the balance back to say yeah we 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 need to ch- do have that have our check checks and balances but we also need to give a bit of autonomy what's the point of having to go back and forth back and forth and and that these are the things that i i believe line managers get hit with which says to the which, which kind of puts them in the position where they can't do some mm. of the softer things like communicating, like development, like paying attention to their people. Because if you have to be doing that, going back and forth, back and forth, you suddenly have lost an, an awful lot of time to act to get the real work done. Uh, if your priorities are your people, where do the people come in that? You know, because you're faffed by the time you've faffed back and forward. You've, you might think to yourself, do you know what? I won't even bother. Yeah, who can, well, that's it. <laughs> who can be bothered? Who can be bothered? I, I mean, I think to, an organisation, like, yeah, I was in an organisation where, you know, there was a faff around even getting the recognition thing, you know, like when you you have to apply for a, 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 one of these smaller spot awards and so on. And, and it was such a faff again. And you just thought some line managers were like, do you know what? I don't award any of them. I just say thanks or take them out somewhere because at the end of the day, it takes so long to get that done that there's no point. And I, I think, I think generally, if, if nothing else, I hope that that research like yours helps organisations to look at things again. Look at how we're treating this group of people. Look at what we're expecting them to deal with in the sphere of you know, let's check and let's balance all of the money and all of the all of the activities it would be great to see some movement on, do you know what, maybe we need to adjust it a little bit. Maybe we need to bring a bit more balance to the whole thing. Mm. You know what all this screams out to me? Trust. It's trust, right? And as soon as, you know, as soon as you start taking the budgets away, as soon as you start taking the decisions away, as soon as you start making line managers go through hoops and going back to the start and putting a business case together, you're basically saying to them, we don't really trust you. 
yeah. don't really trust you to make the decisions on our behalf. So we're going to make you sit in this three-hour meeting presenting to us about a case that you already presented to us six months ago and, and to get you to prove our worth. And people just feel, and as soon as that trust is broken and that confidence is gone, you just can't live up to your expectations. And then line managers get a bad rep. They're not interested. They're disengaged. They're rubbish line managers. They're technically great, but personally, they're rubbish. But actually, are they? Or have you just broken that trust with them and, you, and you've completely... Mm. In your in your actions, maybe not in your words, but in your actions, you're showing them that you don't trust them into mm. making decisions. Mm. I think I think you're right, and this nicely brings us on to you know practical tips uh, and advice that we would have for for people. And I kind of want to think about this in terms of the advice for someone that is a line manager, and then the advice for maybe the leadership team and the people that are setting kind of culture and strategy. Because I think if we could have one tip for each of those, then I think that that might be quite helpful. So mine would be for the for the line managers, invest in your skills. I know we haven't talked much about that in this episode, but invest in your skills around listening, invest in your skills around communication, because it's the one thing that comes through again and again. And even though I know that some of you will think you don't need to do that because the data tells us that too, you do. So please make sure you do invest in your communication skills. And then for the people that are leading organizations, then Really, for me, it's thinking about if you are saying that you are empowering people or if you are saying that you are giving people autonomy, then write down exactly what people are able to do under those things so that you've got absolute clarity in terms of what is that actually looking like in a day-to-day business operational perspective. Because whichever one you're going to pick, you just have to be really clear and think about what you want people to be able to do and trust and all those things. But what are the actual tangible things that are demonstrating either empowerment or autonomy, whichever one you're you're going for? So they would be my my two. My two would more be an encouragement to line managers to say, don't give up, basically. <laughs> <laughs> stay strong. <laughs> yeah, stay strong. And and also recognize that they are a strong link to the to, to the organization. They are they are very, very important to how that front line operates. And for most organizations, the priority is about profits and production productivity. And, and they are key in all of that. So it's almost pull your confidence from the fact that you are incredibly important to achieving those two things. And to the leader, I think I would, I would say, be more inclusive, you know, include them more, find ways to you know, you can't obviously from a leadership perspective, you can't always tell line managers everything or you can't tell people everything, but you can explain where the thinking came behind some of the initiatives that you have pumping downwards. And rather than just having the expectation that they should just get on with it, perhaps give them the courtesy of explaining why and explaining how it will enhance the organisation, how it will even develop their own um, careers and so on, rather than just saying it's going to happen I think those are really great tips for me for line managers I would say be very clear in on your expectations like what is it that you need from people and don't fear asking for it so I think it's really important to have that open conversation with the people that you are of, of those who are asking uh, to for you to do things right so ask them and ask the questions and don't fear that and I think the more we have these open conversations and start building that trust, 
that may be broken. That's when change can actually happen. So, you know, if you feel like your leader is asking you to go around the hoops a little bit more, then have that conversation with them. And I know it's not going to be a podcast episode without mentioning Brené Brown, but I'm going to mention <laughs> Brené Brown. Dare we? <laughs> yes. You know, um, Brené Brown talks about vulnerable leadership, right? And vulnerable leaders and putting yourself out there and talking about some of the challenges that you're facing and being open about some of the challenges that you're facing. And as a line manager, it's it's important for you to say to your communications lead or to your leaders or whoever, look, I don't know what you need from me. I I want to help and I want to support you, but you need to tell me what it is that you need from me and, and how I can help you because I need your help as well because I've got too much going on. Whatever, you know, be very open and honest with that. And with leaders, I just think leaders need to take a bit of a step back and have a look at what people are saying to them. You know, what is that two-way feedback that's going on? Why? Look at your data, look at your insights, look at what your performance is telling you. Are people leaving unnecessarily or people just you know down in the dumps a little bit you know the the key for me is that when you do like town halls and ask the CEO and those kind of conversations the silence for me the silence is telling when people are not asking questions and they're not communicating and they're not engaged and they're not feeling you know inspired and it's it's like anybody any questions and it just kind of you know there's 100 Mm. people on the call and like nobody's saying anything that for me is a warning sign for me it's a bit like why are, people, like, why are people asking questions? What's going on here? Because we've just shared something quite big and quite important, yet nobody's actually asking any questions around it. Um, and that, for me, is, is definitely a warning sign. For if, if that's happening in your organisation as a leader and you're not getting that two-way kind of communication back with them, you will need to go out into that workforce and ask that question to your line manager population and probably say to them, what is it that we need to do as an organisation to be, on Trudy's point, more inclusive and, and, and give you that empowerment and an autonomy to deliver the work that we needed to deliver nice I like that we used to talk about people that would not ask questions and then go out the room and ask all the questions with each other uh as like a silent veto oh. <laughs> so uh, it was it was always a, a rule in meetings like there'll be no silent vetoes here if you've got a question <laughs> ask it in the room don't just go outside and, and sort of you know slag it off or ask all the questions oh, so gosh. it's always a nice phrase silent veto we'll have none of that thank you very much no definitely not no I'm now thinking back how many silent vetoes I've done. I've done quite a few. (laughs) (laughs) What? The actual. I know. I mean, I don't know. If there's any internal communicators or communicators who have never done a silent veto, let us know. And I'm pretty certain we've all left that room going, what's the actual? (laughs) I love it. listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed it if you have any ideas for future episodes then just let us know on any of our social platforms and don't forget to rate us where you've listened to us you can also leave us a review on apple podcasts